0: the arctic trails have their secret tales that would make your blood run cold robert service wrote there are tales whispered in hushed tones over campfires or in the warmth of homes stories so horrifying they compel even loners to huddle there are many horrifying creatures throughout folklore from all around the world many of them are downright scary in appearance But those that prey while in disguise are among the most dangerous. By the time you see their true form, it's usually too late. Shapeshifters can take on the appearance of anyone, and they can sound like anyone. In many cases, their actions are what give them away. But what if you come upon a cute little creature such as an otter? You would never suspect, not in a million years, that it could be a devilish creature in disguise. Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover the horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters both ancient and modern. Today we are discussing the Kushtika, the land otter man from Tlingit folklore. This show is part of the EerieCast podcast network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com, and be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave an honest review on iTunes, too. The more we get, the more we grow. And hopefully, the more monsters we can explore. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion@gmail.com. at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. How many times had she traveled this road? She couldn't remember, but it was definitely more than Mel could count. Had it always been this bumpy, though? She wondered as her car bounced and bumped down the long, winding dirt road. It had been dark by the time she picked up her rental car at the airport, but the sky was clear and the moon was bright. She could see that the familiar road had not changed much since her last visit when her mom was sick. A snowplow had been out recently and left clumps of snow lining the road on both sides. At the end of this road was the cabin where she had lived with her parents and her younger brother until she went off to college. She had always wanted to see what was outside of Ketchikan, Alaska. She had gone to college at the University of Alaska in Fairbanks and it was exciting traveling so far from home. But it wasn't far enough. It had woken a desire in her to see the world. She dropped out of college after her first year when she became a flight attendant and had no regrets. Eventually, she met her future husband, Matt, on one of those flights. He was a pilot. It wasn't love at first sight. As a matter of fact, they didn't even like each other at first. She thought he was cocky and arrogant and he thought she was a goody-two-shoes. The perfect beginning to many romance novels. But unlike a novel, her story didn't have a happy ending. They were married for 15 years. During that time, she had lost her dad, and then her mom, and not long after, she lost Matt, too. Her parents passed away in the same year, her dad from a stroke and her mom from a broken heart. Matt didn't die, Although that might have been easier, she found pictures of him with another woman on his phone the day after their 15th wedding anniversary. Mel was devastated, but she didn't leave him right away. She gave him ultimatums, and he promised he would end it. She tried to be the perfect wife. She thought that if she was better, he would not want to cheat. But she was wrong. He had a problem. And over time, she learned that he had been unfaithful many times throughout their marriage. It didn't take long after that for her to realize the problem wasn't her. After the divorce was final, Mel felt more lost and alone than she ever had in her life. For the first time in 20 years, she longed to go home. Her only regret was that she hadn't went home sooner. Her younger brother, Bruce, had never left home or gotten married. Instead, he became a police officer right there in Ketchikan. He kept the house that they grew up in after their parents passed away. She called him often to check in and make sure he was doing okay. When she called in tears the day her divorce was final, he asked her to come home. He was only a kid when she had left, and despite their age difference and the distance, they had managed to stay close. She hadn't even considered going back until then but she knew as soon as he offered that she had to go. She took personal leave from work and booked a flight, not telling Bruce that she was on her way. Mel was lost in her thoughts, so she was caught off guard when a large creature ran out in front of the car. At first she thought it was a person, but it was covered from head to toe in dark fur. She had to slam on her brakes to keep from hitting it. Whatever it was, the near-miss didn't phase it because it never paused to look her way. It just lunged into the woods on the other side of the road. Mel's heart was racing. She put the car in park long enough to catch her breath. But the idea of that thing being out there caused her to quickly take off again. She didn't want to stick around to see if it came back. Bruce's patrol car was in the driveway when she pulled up. He must have seen her headlights because he came out onto the porch as she parked. I didn't think you would really come, and without warning, the house is a mess, and I could have picked you up at the airport, he said as he stepped off the porch and gave her a big hug. I know, but I wanted to surprise you, and I don't care if the house is a mess, she said over his shoulder as he was squeezing the breath out of her. For some reason, seeing him and being here at the home that she had wanted to so badly leave back then brought tears to her eyes. She brushed them away and turned back to the car to get her luggage. The house looked the exact same way it had before her mom passed. Bruce hadn't changed a thing. Except for his shoes and socks laying around the floor, a few beer cans here and there, and a dirty plate on the coffee table. She didn't see what the fuss had been about. After she was settled into her old bedroom, Bruce offered her some of the pasta he had been enjoying before she arrived. She accepted, and they sat at the table together, catching up while she ate. Hey, I saw the weirdest thing down the dirt road a ways, she told him suddenly. She had almost forgot. Oh yeah, what'd you see? He asked. I'm not really sure. It was big and hairy. At first, I thought it was a man, but it was covered in fur. It ran across the road, and I almost hit it with my car. Mel explained and then described to him how it had walked upright and seemed to be in a hurry. "'Sounds like my ex-girlfriend,' Bruce laughed. "'Should have run her over.' Mel frowned at him and waited to swallow her last bite of pasta before continuing. "'I'm serious. I know it sounds stupid, but I swear to God it could have been Bigfoot or something.' Bruce straightened his face and told her he was sure that there was some reasonable explanation." but I will ask around tomorrow at work and see if there have been any reports that might match up. Mel picked up her plate and his and took them to the sink. Bruce protested when she started cleaning up, but she shooed him away. They finished their evening sitting in the living room, reminiscing while the fire crackled in the fireplace. Bruce left for work before she woke the next morning, but he had left a note on the table. Sis, I'm really happy to have you here. It gets lonely out here alone since mom and dad are gone. This is your home, too. Stay as long as you want. Forever would be okay, too. Bruce. She smiled as she read it. It was nice to be home. It was a beautiful day, but the sun glaring off the snow was almost blinding. Mel decided to take a walk around the property to see how much had changed and what hadn't changed. She was curious about some of her favorite places in the woods where she liked to build forts as a kid, and she just needed to relive those memories to distract her from the more recent sad ones. Eventually, she found her way down to Ketchikan Creek, where she saw two otters playing in the water. She watched for a while, enjoying their shenanigans the same way she had when she was a kid. One was a little bigger than the other, and he seemed to be bullying the other one. The smaller one had a rockfish in its mouth, and the bigger one snatched it away and took off. Mel laughed out loud when the little one snuck up behind the bigger one and pushed him into the creek. He swam to the other side and climbed out of the water, shook his body, and then turned and locked Mel into a dead stare. She could have sworn he was angry at her, which made her laugh harder. She watched until they eventually wandered off back into the forest and then Mel turned and headed back towards the house. She hadn't gone far when she heard a chittering sound from behind her. She turned around to discover that the larger otter was following her. He stopped when he saw that he had been spotted and stood on his hind legs and began chirping. Mel smiled before she spoke to the little furry creature. Why are you following me? I don't have any fish. She took a step towards him and he dropped down on all four feet and began growling. Wow, talk about moody. She shook her head and began to walk away. She could hear his tiny steps behind her as they made little crunching sounds in the snow. Mel began to walk faster, hoping to lose him. She was beginning to feel uneasy. Otter attacks were rare, but not unheard of. They usually had to be provoked, but all she did was laugh at the little guy. It was weird because it sounded like the otter's footsteps were getting heavier with every step she took. She finally stopped again and glanced back and instantly wished she hadn't.
1: This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters, murder, mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the roaring 20s. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
0: There is some incredibly amazing wildlife in Alaska, but is there anything cuter than an otter? You probably don't think that sea otters could ever be associated with a terrifying myth, but the Klingit people have a tale about the curious animals that will make you think twice. It's hard to find a more charming, adorable animal than the sea otter and quite a few otters call Alaska home. The fur trade devastated Alaska's otter population completely during the 19th century, but it was reintroduced in the 1960s. Currently, there are about 26,000 of these playful animals living in the state. The Tlingit legend about these animals will keep you up at night, despite the fact that we may think they are the cutest creatures on Earth. They speak of shapeshifters that await those who wander into the wilderness or the ocean. The creatures are called Kushtaka. The Kushtaka is a mythical shape-shifting creature capable of assuming human or otter-like form, and potentially other forms. They share the same nature and appearance as the skinwalkers from the central plains as well, depending on the tribe's legend. Some have been reported as demon-like, others are closer to an otter-like yeti. That could be the reason they are also known as Alaska's second Bigfoot. These Kushtaka, initially look like humans and sometimes appear when someone is injured or in trouble. The creatures will claim to help or rescue those they find. But according to legend, the Kushtaka take their quarry further into the wilds, turning them into fellow shape-shifting beasts. According to some versions of the legend, these evil creatures drive sailors to their deaths, while in other versions they rescue youngsters who are lost from the bitter cold only to transform them into kushtakas as well. Others claim that the creatures lure their prey with the sounds of a newborn or a distressed woman before shredding them to pieces. Numerous legends describe the kushtaka as having a high-pitched three-part whistle that goes low, high, low. According to some legends, the kushtaka entices women to rivers with the cries of babies before choosing whether to kill them and rip them to pieces or change them into fellow kushtakas. Locals say that only four things, copper, urine, dogs and fire, can fend off these cunning critters. Additionally, they always travel in pairs and kept their kids away from the water in a safe manner. This creature looks like a man-sized bipedal otter. They have thick tails and hands and feet with webbed claws. Kushtakas are fey, aquatic creatures, with characteristics of both otters and people. They are predators like otters, eating fish, shellfish, and small terrestrial animals. Because of their peculiar reproduction cycle, they do not understand that humanoids and young animals are of the same species, and Kushtakas view infants as a delicacy. Kushtakas are ambush predators that typically strike while they are concealed or invisible. They use illusions and mimicked voices to separate prey, then open their attack with a loud roar causing panic. Kushtakas are arrogant creatures who prefer to attack the most powerful prey. However, their haughtiness vanishes when they come into contact with fire or dogs, both of which can break through their defenses and frighten them. Unless they are attacked with fire, dogs, or both, Kushtakas normally battle to the death. Kushtakas are parasitic on humans. Transforming humans is the only way they can reproduce. Kushtakas go out of their way to save the lost, starving, and frozen. Once the hospitality is accepted, they gradually transform into new Kushtakas. The myth of Kushtaka, a reported Alaskan gigantic primate similar to the North American Bigfoot and the Asian Yeti, has recently gained interest in media outlets as far away as Latin America and Russia. The native Klingit and Shimshian people refer to Kushtaka as Otterman. This story is being followed by newspapers in Mexico like El Universal or Zocalo, as well as the Russian publication Sputnik. Kushtaka is thought to have traveled to America from Nepal and Asia, the alleged home of the Yeti. Like certain animal species and the ancestors of Native Americans, it traversed the Bering Strait during the last ice age. Kushtaka has already been featured in articles in the American and international press, from the French newspaper Le Matin to the Hindu, the Indian Express, when in 2013 the New York actor Charlie Sheen flew over Alaska hoping to find it. According to the most horrendous tales, the Kushtaka has the power to manifest one's worst nightmares or even to possess a person in order to damage and cause suffering to others. Some Alaskans believe that Kushtaka is to blame for the numerous unexplained disappearances that have occurred in the region known as the Alaska Triangle. In this isolated region of Alaska's frontier, more than 16,000 individuals have vanished since 1988, more than double the national average. Multiple podcasts, much like this one, have covered the Kushtaka including the What If It's True podcast and True Scary Stories with Edie and Nick. You can even find a short film on the Internet Movie Database or IMDB, as you may know it. The story was written and directed by Cameron Curran and was released in August 2019. The storyline is based in the 1900s. A recently widowed prospector remains alone in the Alaskan wilderness during his desperate search for gold. Something has been stalking him from the trees. Can he find his fortune and leave Alaska for good? Or will he lose the only real valuable thing he has left? His own life. According to the film's creator, it is partially based on the book, The Strangest Story Ever Told by Harry Culp. The book has for decades had an intense cult-like following in Alaska. It's a book that you don't want to read after dark in a tent in the wilderness. There are also several interesting documentaries out there, you can even find one in an episode of Missing in Alaska, season one, episode 10. Their team uses eyewitness accounts and a stakeout to investigate whether this creature is real or merely a myth. There is an old Klingit folktale called The Land Otter's Captive, and this is how it goes. Several people once went out from Sitka together when their canoe upset and all were drowned except for a man of the Kiksadi. A canoe came to this man and he thought that it contained his friends, but they were really land otters. They started southward with him and kept going farther and farther until they had passed clear around the Queen Charlotte Islands. At every place where they stopped, they took in a female land daughter. All this time they kept a mat, made out of the broad part of a piece of kelp. Over the man, they had captured until at length they arrived at a place they called Rainy Village. At this place the man met an aunt, who had drowned years before, and had become the wife of two land daughters. She was dressed in a groundhog robe. Then she said to him, Your aunt's husbands will save you. You must come to see me this evening. When he came his aunt said, I can't leave these people, for I have learned to think a great deal of them. Afterward his aunt's husband started back with him. They did not camp until midnight. Their canoe was a skate, and as soon as they came ashore, they would turn it over on top of him so that no matter how hard he tried to get out, he could not. In making the passage across to Cape Amani, they worked very hard, and shortly after they landed, they heard the raven. They could go only a short distance for food. When they first started back, the woman said to her husbands, Don't leave him where he can be captured again. Take him to a good place. So they left him close to Sitka. Then he walked around in the neighborhood of the town and made the people suffer so much every night that they could not sleep and determined to capture him. They fixed a rope in such a way as to ensnare him, but at first they were unsuccessful. Finally, however, they placed dog bones in the rope so that they would stick into his hands, dog bones being the greatest enemies of the land otters. Late that night, the land otter man tore his hand so with these bones that he sat down and began to scream. And while he was doing this, they got the rope around him and captured him. When they got him home, he was at first very wild. But they restored his reason by cutting his head with dog bones. He was probably not so far gone as most victims. Then they learned what had happened to him. After this time, however, he would always eat his meat and fish raw. Once, when he was among the halibut fishers, they wanted very much to have him eat some cooked halibut. He was a good halibut fisher, probably having learned the art from the land otters, though he didn't say so. For a long time, the man refused to take any, but at last he consented and the food killed him. This story came from a book by John R. Swanton, titled, Klingit Myths and Texts. This is a massive study of the myths and legends of the Klingit, Native Americans of Southern Alaska. Alaska is the last uncharted land. There are special mythical monsters and dangers to be found there. Regardless of your views on Kushtaka, the state is a popular travel destination for explorers and adventurers. If you're not a member of the Klingit tribe, it's unlikely that you will see any Kushtaka during your travels there. But there are a few tools you should have to fend off a shapeshifter, if you should come across one. Knowing how many sled dogs there are in the state, and how much of a dog's dread the Kushtaka have, you shouldn't have any trouble getting rid of the critter, if you hike with one. When Mel turned, the otter was no longer there. Instead, there was an enormous, tall, furry beast, that had a body shaped like a man's, with a face that looked similar to an otter. Her reaction was on impulse and natural. She screamed, and then she began to run. She almost slipped several times. The snow on the ground wasn't very deep, but it was slippery from melting. She could hear the heavy footsteps behind her as they sped up in pursuit, matching her own speed. As she left the forest and emerged into the yard behind the house, the footsteps stopped. But she didn't turn around to check. She ran all the way to the back door. Once inside, she slammed the door shut and locked it behind her. She hurried to the kitchen window and peeked through the curtain half afraid that she would see the monster that had been chasing her. But he was gone. She caught movement at the base of a tree just at the edge of the forest. It was the otter. He was weaving his way around as if scavenging. Mel sat down in one of the kitchen chairs and began to think. Was she going crazy? Had she imagined it? Should she call Bruce? He would probably laugh at her, and he definitely wouldn't believe her. She decided to call him anyway, so she went to get her cell phone out of her purse. She pulled up his number and hit call, but she had totally forgotten that there was no service out there. But because there was no service, Bruce had kept the old landline. It was still hanging on the wall in the kitchen like it had been for more than 30 years. Mel went back to the kitchen and grabbed the phone, and she dialed his number. Luckily, he answered on the first ring. Hey. She tried to sound calm. I was just wondering if you had found out anything about what I saw on the road last night. He was telling her how he hadn't gotten a chance to ask around yet. And then he was trying to tell her that he would be home late when the line went dead. Mel hung it up and tried to call again, but the line was completely dead, no sound whatsoever. She hung the phone up and began pacing, running her fingers through her hair as she walked. What the hell was she supposed to do? She could stay locked up inside this house or she could get in her car and go into town. She needed to get out of here, that was for sure. She was digging through her purse for her keys when she heard a heavy thumping coming from the front door. Someone was knocking. She slowly walked to the door, keeping what felt like a safe distance, before she stopped and asked, Who is it? It's me, Mel. Let me in. She heard Bruce's voice answer from the other side of the door. But it couldn't be. She had just been on the phone with him. He's at work. She shivered as a chill went through her body. Is it possible that he had been playing a trick on her? She slowly tiptoed to the window, where she could get a good view of the porch. It was Bruce, standing there waiting for her to open the door. But why didn't he just use his key? She thought immediately that he must have forgotten it. Relieved, she ran to the door, unlocked it, and swung it open. She almost knocked him over when she flung her arms around him. Thank God, she began, but she froze when she heard a low, rumbling growl come from his chest and began to feel fur tickling her fingers. Mel tried to step back, but she couldn't, so she looked up and right into the hideous face of her predator, When Bruce got home that night, Mel's bedroom door was closed, and he assumed that she was in bed, so he grabbed a bite to eat and then went to bed himself. He didn't notice that she was missing until the next morning. It was his day off, and he fixed breakfast for both of them. When the smell of bacon didn't wake her, he went and knocked on her bedroom door. After several knocks and no response, he opened the door carefully and saw that her bed was made and she was nowhere in sight. He thought maybe she had woken before him and went for a walk, so he began to text her that breakfast was ready, but after he hit send, he heard her phone notifications coming from the living room. He found it on the floor beside the couch. He was beginning to get even more worried. He looked out the window to make sure her car was still there before grabbing his coat and heading off to look for her. He walked around the house and found her footprints heading off into the forest. Some of them were return footsteps as well, but they could have been from yesterday. He followed them through the forest and began to notice some other odd-looking footprints as well. They looked like they belonged to some kind of animal. They seemed to have followed Mel through the forest. He remembered the creature she had claimed seeing on the road and that he hadn't believed her and now she was missing and he was afraid of what might have happened to her. He followed the tracks and watched as they seemed to shrink and then two became four until finally he realized that the tiny tracks were that of an otter. It was puzzling but he continued to follow Mel's footprints until the forest opened up to the edge of the Ketchikan Creek where her footprints stopped. He was staring down at the snow trying to decipher the tracks when he heard chirping and squealing noises coming from the creek. He looked around until he saw where it was coming from. There were three otters playing in the water, a big plump one, a small younger one, and another that was somewhere in between. That one was watching him as he watched it, and suddenly it stood up on its hind legs and began to wave. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore, the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts, such as Tales from the Break Room and Redwood Bureau. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmankarion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. Tune in next week as we discuss the Mananangal, the body-splitting viscera sucker from Filipino folklore. Until next time, stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one.